0: Welcome to the Scoop and Score podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? You a Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Your host, Stephen Khan. What's happening, everybody? And welcome to the college football offseason. Say that one with some sadness. Usually I have a little more pep in my voice, but the offseason, it's, it's a bit of a sad time, but... More and more each year, it does seem like college football is becoming a 12-month sport, and uh, that's just proven true by the fact that there, you know, was new uh, there was new news dropped today just before I was getting ready to record this. So uh, hopefully, no additional breaking news while I'm recording. But but I guess we'll see. Anyway, hope everyone is is doing well. Um, I'll touch a little bit on the national championship here. Uh, what it takes in terms of roster composition to win a national championship, and then I'll, uh, I'll I'll finish up with some thoughts on Notre Dame's coaching staff before signing off for the season. Um, but first and foremost, congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs for winning what I thought was a pretty exciting national championship game, um, especially exciting if you had a vested interest in in the Bulldogs getting that that last pick six to ultimately win by 15. Uh, they were the best team in the country pretty much all season, with the exception of that SEC championship game, when, quite frankly, it just meant more to Alabama. Uh, so I, I stand by what I said um, in, in the playoff preview about none of these teams stacking up to the last three national champions. But I was, it was, it was still a joy to watch Georgia's defense flying over the field, uh, you know, keeping them really in the game while the offense couldn't do anything at all. Uh, And then as the game moved forward, give Georgia a lot of credit because eventually they got that run game going. They found some holes, and Stetson Bennett made just enough plays with his arm to get it done. Um, and, And the real key to Georgia's offense, probably changing the snap count. I was losing my mind on the couch watching Will Anderson jump the snap count and be in the backfield immediately because he had timed up Stetson Bennett's collapse. Just go to the second or third clap. I don't know why it took so long to make this change. That's ultimately what they did, and it made a huge difference. And uh, and, and on the topic of Bennett, I know he's not you know a great quarterback, but he does throw a really nice deep ball. And, and that's somewhat rare in college football where you see so many underthrows because people are afraid of overthrowing the open man. Um, but, but it's a really important skill when, when you're, you know, dealing with college football, where receivers are just more likely to get by their defensive backs than we, than we see in the NFL. Um, so it's an important skill to have, and he seems to do it pretty well. Bennett also, uh, I guess ends the argument that you need a really big time quarterback to win a national championship. Although it certainly does help, but but Bennett was the first quarterback since Jake Coker in 2015 to win a national championship and not be an NFL starting quarterback. Again, it, I guess it's still possible that Stetson Bennett will become, a, uh, become an NFL starting quarterback, although I highly doubt it. Uh, just running down the list of, of the guys before Bennett, it was Mac Jones, Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, Jalen Hurts, who was replaced mid-game by Tua Tagovailoa, both starting quarterbacks in the NFL, and Deshaun Watson. But uh, clearly the key for making up for just average quarterback play is having an absolutely loaded roster, and that's exactly what both of these teams had. Looking back over the last five recruiting classes, because, you know, you've got some some fifth-year players, and this year, conceivably, you could have had some sixth-year players, although with the kind of talent that Alabama and Georgia are bringing in. I don't think anyone's really sticking around for six years either. They're going to the NFL, or they're being pushed out because someone better is coming in behind them. But Alabama and Georgia are the clear one and two in terms of roster talent based on recruiting rankings. Ohio State is is the closest behind, trailing at third. And and these are the teams that we've seen you know play at the highest level. But if if Georgia continues to recruit at Alabama's level, which it seems like they are. It's going to continue to compete for championships. However, what makes Alabama really special is Nick Saban's ability to get complete buy-in every year, whether they just won a national championship or not. So it'll be very interesting to see if Saban's most successful protege, Kirby Smart, is able to do the same thing coming off a historic season for Georgia. Can he get them to you know, wash all that away, say, okay, this next year's team, we haven't done anything. So, you know, can we play to that standard? That's always been the most amazing thing about Sabin is to be able to do it consistently year after year for going on about 12 years now. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, other other teams have been able to reach the highs, but to do it every year, it's just so tough. So we will be interesting to see what Georgia is able to do next year with maybe a little bit of a national championship hangover. Uh, now on to a bit of Notre Dame postmortem mortem and, and an update on the coaching staff. I'll do the coaching staff stuff, stuff first. I'm glad I waited an extra day to record this podcast because we just had a major shakeup. Uh, defensive line coach Mike Elston, who has been at ND since 2010, is leaving to take the defensive line job at Michigan. Elston is a Michigan alum, so this has kind of always seemed like maybe it was a possibility, but after turning down the LSU job, he announced that he was staying at Notre Dame, perhaps mostly because his family didn't want to leave, but apparently moving to Ann Arbor was an easier sell than moving to Baton Rouge. Uh, And and you do also have to remember that at the time he made those statements, there was still a chance Elston was going to be named defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, a a role that he's now been passed over for really four times. Um, But but after his dress rehearsal in the Fiesta Bowl really didn't go well, I imagine he was eliminated from consideration there. Um, So, you know, I can't blame him for wanting to maybe have a fresh start somewhere else. I do sort of wonder if there's more to this story. Than, than simply that, but um, anyway, good luck to him. He, he's always seemed like a really good guy. He was certainly a great recruiter um, and and you know a a good position coach. And and for that reason, it's it's really a big loss for Notre Dame. I I can't really sugarcoat it. It's it's a loss. I mentioned great recruiter and great coach. That's not a combination you always get. Um, you know, and and for years under. Davy and Willingham and Weiss. One of Notre Dame's most glaring weaknesses when comparing them to some of the top teams was on that defensive line, and Ellison helped turn that into a strength. Look at how many guys have been drafted and are contributing in the NFL from Notre Dame right now, uh, and and he also seemed like a really big and good part of the culture. He had been around for the entirety of the Brian Kelly era. So while I'm confident that whoever Marcus Freeman hires for the role is going to be a great recruiter and a great coach, it's impossible to replace what's lost in terms of 12 years of experience at Notre Dame. He was going to be really the number one piece bridging the BK era into the Freeman era, and now he's gone. So that does call into question what's going to happen with some of these hires on the defensive side. It's expected, though nothing has been reported yet, that John Heacock, the defensive coordinator at Iowa State, is likely to end up with the same role at Notre Dame. He's about 60 years old, and I actually think it makes a lot of sense to bring in a guy with more experience, as this is a very young staff. So I think he fits nicely there in terms of you know being able to, to help guide Marcus Freeman a little bit as he navigates being such a, a, a young and first-time head coach. Now, how he fits into what Freeman wants to do on defense will be interesting. Iowa State found ways to slow down some high-power Oklahoma offenses in recent years, which is certainly a big plus. But he tends to not be as aggressive as Freeman typically likes. So it'll be—I I keep saying it'll be interesting just because we don't have any track record and know what it'll look like. But I do like the idea of Freeman's principles being implemented and coached by Heacock. Um, so— you know, time will tell. First of all, whether he even gets the job, um, but then you know how how the two work together and how that progresses. Now, I think Heacock coaches the safeties at Iowa State. Notre Dame already has a safeties coach on staff. They're essentially missing a linebackers coach since Marcus Freeman is now the head coach, and now they're missing a defensive line coach. So, if if they do end up adding Heacock, um, there's still you know at least one more hire to make on the defensive side of well really it'll be one hire to make on the defensive side of the ball and then some mixing and matching of who coaches what position it has also been reported that notre dame is hiring brian mason from cincinnati to be its special teams coach Uh, cincinnati is ranked near the top of several special teams categories in recent years so this seems like a good move Uh, Mason, I think, also served as Cincinnati's recruiting coordinator and coached some linebackers. So this seems like a pretty well-rounded hire that's going to have multiple benefits. Uh, On the offensive side of the ball, things are much clearer. Notre Dame wanted to upgrade at offensive line and receivers coaches, and I'd say they definitely did in one spot, and they took a good chance in the other. First, offensive line, they brought back Harry Heastand, who is the here from 2012 to 2017 and produced some of the best linemen currently in the NFL, including Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson, Ronnie Stanley, and Mike McGlinchey. He's a really kind of old school, hard-nosed guy that's tough on his players, but I think you want your offensive linemen to be the kinds of guys that can handle some hard coaching. Uh, I've had someone in the college coaching ranks flat out tell me directly that he is the best offensive line coach in the world. So, I, uh, you know, he was known as someone who didn't love recruiting, so uh, we'll have to see how he fits in to Freeman's staff in terms of go, go, go on the, on the recruiting trail. But offensive line mostly recruits itself at Notre Dame, and O-linemen typically aren't the kind of guys that feel the need to get all the love that, that maybe some of the other prima donna positions uh, are, are more akin to getting, um, akin was not the right word there, are more used to getting. Um, in, the, uh, in the recruiting process, so I don't, I'm not concerned about his lack of love for recruiting when that position probably needs it the least, um, so should be good there, and I'm excited to see what he can do with the talent that is already on the roster. And that brings us to receivers where Nordium simply hadn't recruited well enough at the position for several years in a row and the Irish will now turn to former Clemson and Jets player and one-year Baylor coach, Chancey Stuckey. A little concerning that we're at a point now where coaches are players that I absolutely remember watching, but that's really, I guess, just my own issue that I need to work through. I don't know a ton about Stuckey, uh, but I do know that Notre Dame chose him over the, the Purdue wide receivers coach who, who had done a you know really nice job at Purdue and is now heading to Washington after both guys interviewed. Uh, and, and Stuckey was highly thought of in the Big 12 during his one season at Baylor. Plus, he's young, so you've got to think he's ready to, to come in and, and bring some energy on the recruiting trail. Hopefully, he can relate to, uh, to some of the, uh, the, the high school receivers that he's, he's going to be recruiting. Um, so, so that's it for the, the coaching staff based on the current information. But again, I'm sure there will be some new information coming in soon. Looking ahead to next year for the Irish, I expect the team to be better, but the record to probably be worse. You know, that's just what happens when you open the year at Ohio State and then still have to play Clemson, USC, BYU, and UNC, and you're coming off an 11-1 and regular season. So keep in mind also that Notre Dame had completely stopped losing to unranked teams under Brian Kelly, and I have a feeling that won't be quite as smooth in year one under Marcus Freeman. Um, but but a lot is going to rest on the shoulders and legs of of Tyler Buckner uh, at quarterback. If he can take a big step, I think the Notre Dame offense can be really good. And then on defense, if a few young cornerbacks can step up and make the secondary just average, the defense has a chance to be really good too. So quarterback and defensive back are are the two key positions for the Irish next season as they continue to build on what has really been a great five-year stretch. So now uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, I'm going to sign off here for the season and really signing off indefinitely. I'm not prepared to commit to doing the show next season, but I'm also not going to commit to shutting it down completely either. Uh, I I imagine next August I'll start to get the itch Uh, I'm even more sure that I'll be getting texts from Tommy Vegas and Danny Dimes about doing a gambling season preview, so the best I can say is we'll see, but I'm fairly confident that the current life of the show is coming to an end. There might be some guests that I really want to talk to, or some topic that I just need to discuss, but I highly doubt it will ever be a weekly podcast again. And with that, I want to take a few minutes here to tie a bow on the last eight years of this podcast. First, it would be rude of me not to mention my brother, Andrew, who at the very least gave the podcast a platform on his website before we were aware of any other way to put the podcast on the internet. And flat out, there's just no way I would have ever started a solo podcast, so safe to say none of this would exist if not for him. Now, before I get into any more of this, I want to make one thing very clear. At no point during any of this eight-year run have I ever thought of this podcast as more than what it was. I never had any delusions about becoming anything resembling rich or famous, despite the occasional retweet from a Twitter account with a lot of followers or a Hail Mary email sent to Bill Simmons after our game of cornhole together. If anything, that email to Bill Simmons was more about me having fun pretending to be in this world than it ever was about me actually entering it. I've been lucky to have some great guests on the show. I think back to our very first guest, Dave Revson, some legitimate names and fan favorites across different fields, from Jay Corngay to Jessica Smetana to Brian Curtis, to bums like the aforementioned Danny Dimes and Tommy Vegas. I really, really had fun just last week talking to a friend from grade school who has worked his way up the ranks to be an actual college football coach. How cool is that? So thank you to every single one of those people. But back to the idea about what the point of this podcast actually was. From day one in 2014, it has always been about my love of college football and my desire to talk about it. And fortunately for me, just enough of you cared to listen that it was worth doing. We're not talking huge numbers by any means. In fact, we're, we're talking tiny numbers. We're talking a few hundred downloads on a good week, but you were great listeners. I was always amazed that I'd be back at ND, at a tailgate, and someone I hadn't seen or spoken to in a year or two would come up to me and mention the pod, or someone would tell me their parents listen. Again, not big numbers, but the idea that this podcast was reaching people that I didn't know it was reaching was always cool to me. But more important have been all the people that have made it very clear to me that they listen. Those of you who have followed along with my weekly picks told me when you liked something about an episode, and reminded me when I was oh so wrong about a prediction. So that's by far my biggest thank you. To you great listeners, many of whom have had your voices heard on an episode or two, I'm not going to list every name, but I've thought back, and if you've ever been on the show, I promise I am thinking of you right now. To the fellas who have been great champions of the scoop and score for all these years, and maybe most especially the one idiot fella who I know for sure doesn't listen and as a result knows nothing about college football to producer John, who is not only the first listener each week, but the one who helped keep the podcast alive during its transition to a solo show. Thank you all. It's been a real treat. And now with the future of the show uncertain, I'll say goodbye the way 24 said goodbye to the likes of Terry Bauer, George Mason, and president David Palmer. Take care, everybody.